0: scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians 2, verses 11 through 21. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain.
1: I want to give you a little background on the book of Galatians. Um, Galatians was written about the year 49 AD. Um, It was the second of the New Testament letters that we um, find written, and it's written about five years or so after the book of James was written. We just finished up a series looking at the book of James, the first of the books that we were going to look at. It was written about 44 AD, and here we find a letter that's written by Paul to the church. Churches in and around Galatia. These churches have begun to form, and uh, Paul who is one of the apostles, though he was not one who walked with Jesus during his ministry, um, he did see Jesus face-to-face on the road to Damascus, and he um, had a passion to take the gospel to the non-religious Gentile people of the area. Peter, um, some of the other disciples, they really had a focus on the Jewish People who came to Christ and were coming to Christ, and as an outreach to the Jewish people, while Paul was sent to be a minister, an evangelist, reaching the Gentiles, the the pagan people, the people who had no religious system really, um, and that was his heart and his passion. And he wrote this letter really to set straight the understanding between what it means to follow Christ as a former. Jew, someone with a religious background, versus someone who didn't come from a religious background. And he wanted to set some things straight because he started to see some hypocrisy that was going on even amongst um, Peter and some of the other disciples that he decided to call on the carpet. And we see that written in this book. Even That's going to be a lot of the focus of our message today. Um, See, both backgrounds, whether you're coming from a, a Jewish or a religious background, or you're coming from um, a pagan, anti-religious, or godless kind of background, secular background, both of our backgrounds in Christ become transformed. They become changed. We begin to take on the life, the freedom, the transformation, um, the sanctification, all of the things that begin to change in our lives happen regardless of our background. And this letter really is trying to shine a light on the transformation that takes place in a person's life or in a community in the in the in the in the message of Jesus Christ through the gospel. And depending on if you're coming from a religious background that you were raised with, or you're coming from a secular background, um, depends on how this transformation begins to look. And we find here, even in the earliest days of the church, that there was a struggle between those who were identifying with Christ with a religious background and those who are identifying with Christ with a secular background. And how do these two worlds come together in a way that honors Christ and reflects the church reflects the, the, um, the life that Christ wanted to give His people. And this letter is all about what it means to be transformed by the gospel, regardless of your starting point. And we're going to be looking at this series, this three-part series about from the book of Galatians. It's called Transformed. And we're going to talk today about the transforming message of the gospel. Um, you might recall when I was a kid, um, there was the... Um, The toy, the cartoon, eventually became the movies of Transformers. Um, These were machines, oftentimes automobiles, that had a life to them and they could be changed or transformed into a vehicle or into an airplane, into some sort of a machine, and they could be changed and transformed into these robots with faces and arms and legs and flying powers and that kind of stuff. And so it was a, a fun concept of taking this machine, giving it life, and it had two forms that it could be transformed one way into another. I wish I had one to show you and I'd show you how terrible I am at transforming a transformer. But the theme or the slogan that was often said at the beginning of the cartoons and in the advertisements, transformers more than meets the eye and basically communicating that, you know, what you see is not only what this thing is. There's more than meets the eye. And um, we're going to be kind of talking about what does it mean to be transformed? And be changed into the image of Christ. And today's the main focus is the transforming message, the transforming message of the gospel. The first observation we're going to have as we tear apart these verses that was read for us today in Galatians chapter 2 is that we find that there's a transformed standing. In Christ, The gospel brings about a transformed standing a position, um, how you are regarded, what you're qualified for in an instant. Um, let's read here again, verses 15 and 16 says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Here we find here, uh, Paul reminding Peter, Paul reminding the churches that have heard the gospel that it is in believing in Christ that a person is acceptable to God. It is, it is through believing in him, believing in the work that Jesus did on the cross that you are indeed saved by not by works. Because works takes time, works is a lifelong effort and works fall short because of our fallen nature and the fact that we cannot work ourselves hard enough to be justified—you cannot tip the balance. There is no balance to be tipped here. Um, our sin separated us from God, and it only is brought back into relationship. Our our relationship with God it only is secured through Christ and a believing in Him. And so when we hold on, when we grab on, when we accept the gospel, when we accept that Jesus died on the cross, rose again because we needed him to as a sinner, we are transformed in a moment from death and to life. We are transformed in a moment positionally. We were out and now we are in. We are transformed positionally in the moment we believe in the moment we confess our sin in the moment we embrace Christ and the gospel. That's when we're changed. Our position is changed. Our designation is changed. We we go from being um, lost to being saved. We go from being outside of God's favor to inside of God's favor. Our designation is changed. A few other passages of scripture that help solidify this thought. And that is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Again, this is Paul speaking. Now he's writing to the church in Corinth, which we'll get to in a few months it says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old things have passed away behold all things have become new you see this this verse is talking about how in a moment's time in a second the old goes away the new comes into life we are transformed in a moment The old things passed away, and behold, all things become new. Even though you will struggle still with some of the the challenges, the difficulties, and maybe sins of your life, positionally you are declared new, Um, you are declared righteous. Um, We find Jesus sharing the same kind of sentiment in John chapter 5, verse 24, when he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting Life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Isn't that awesome news? That we believe in Christ and we pass from death and into life. Um, I had an incident that took place several years ago. I was taking a team of people. Several adults, several teenagers, and we were going out of the country to the Czech Republic to do a mission trip and it was you uh, know a, a fabulous week of two weeks of ministry, but um, you know we had spent several months getting ready for the trip, um, had these teenagers you know fill out documents, we had done a lot of praying together and uh, training together and all kinds of stuff. Well, we get the team up to the Chicago airport to fly out, and we're standing at the desk, and everyone's kind of checking in, and you know they need to show their IDs to, um, you know, get their tickets and their boarding passes and all of that, and put their luggage in and everything. Well, we have all of a sudden one of the team members is flagged, and I'm called over as the leader to deal with this teenager who has signed up to go on this trip. I've always known this young lady to be named this and this, but her documents on her ID was that and that. It was different. She had a different name on her ID than she had ever given to me and I've never known her by. I think it was just her last name that was not the same. She'd kind of taken on a name, always used this name, but her actual documents showed a different name. Well, when I ordered and booked the tickets, I put in the name I knew her to be. More than likely, she even filled out paperwork and didn't even think about what was on her ID, and she just filled it out, um, learned a lesson there um, about how to plan a trip. And um, we get, you know, we're up there, and I'm about to take a teenager out of the country with an ID that doesn't match the ticket and uh, you can see how that turned into a problem. Um, we, you know, all of a sudden, you know, she's crying. Her friends are around her. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, I can't go on the plane. And it was one of those kinds of deals And I'm, you know, talking to them. The plane's getting ready to, you know, board and everything. And I'm trying to figure out how to get approval for her to be able to go on this trip. They have us call, uh, you know, her mom. The mom's got to find a fax machine back in the day and send up proper paperwork proving her name and her ID. And we could get uh, things all fixed fixed. We needed her designation changed because at this moment she was designated, um, unacceptable to fly. Her ticket does not match her ID. We're not going to let her go without her parents out of the country with someone, um, claiming to know her claiming to be in charge here. We needed a designation change. And what it required was us getting the right person, the person who had authority to say, yes, this is who it is. She's with me. I have authority. To say yes to her going on this trip and get the proper paperwork. And you see, what we find here is that it depended on who said she could go. It depended on whose authority she could make this trip under. And that's the same that's true for you and me when it comes to the gospel and us knowing the right person, the person who's got authority to say yes to eternal life. You see, you're not going to be able to prove it all on your own. You're not going to be able to say, oh, I can do this. And I can do that. And I've got this kind of heart or I've done this in my life. God's going to say, it all depends on who you know. It all depends on who has authority to say yes, and the one who he looks to and listens to for that kind of authority is Jesus Christ, the one who he has given all authority over life and death. And so when Jesus shows up and says, this person is my person, we have a relationship, we have a faith, we've got a connection because I say that they deserve eternal life because of my knowledge of them. They're in. You see, a lot of times it depends on who you know as to what kind of break that you get. There was a few years ago we took the kids to Disneyland and we found out that if you know somebody who works at Disneyland, you have the possibility of getting free tickets to go into Disneyland. If you've ever been to Disneyland, you know that's a pretty good deal because it's pretty expensive to get tickets to go in. And we have friends who lived in California, right near um, Disneyland, and we called them up and say, hey, do you know anyone in Disneyland? He said, well, sure I do. I've got someone." of my students works at Disneyland. He'd be happy to walk you through. And by the way, he's going to grab another friend because we have six of us. Employees can take a few people in, only three. And so we show up at the front gates of Disneyland because I knew John. John knew someone who worked there and he knew someone that worked there. And pretty soon they just walk us in. It was pretty cool. We got to go into Disneyland because we knew somebody. And you see, that's what eternal life is like. You are Get eternal life because you know the right person. Jesus Christ, that's the gospel, and Paul is trying to reiterate to Peter that that is exactly all that matters is that you know Christ. You see, there's this big differentiation going on between uh, the belief that you need to be righteous through your good works. That's kind of the bent that the Jewish people approach this new Christianity through. Is if you are circumcised, or if you avoid eating pork, or whatever rules they've laid uh, um, on this thing that these are works of righteousness. And, and Paul's writing this letter saying, all of those rules do not matter apart from Christ. It is the transforming identifying with Christ that makes all the difference in the world. So we find here that it depends on who, you know, so we can have this, uh, standing with God, transformed in a moment through Christ. We also find written in these verses here in Galatians 2 that there's a tendency to retroform. Maybe you've never heard a word like that before. Retroform. Um, you know what? I, I pu- plugged this word into the um, Microsoft Word or w- my programming and it underlined it as a misspelled word. Because this is a word that isn't used anymore, but you actually can find this word back in documents and works back in the uh, 17-1800s. And this word is a pretty cool word. I was trying to think about a word about reverting back to an original form reverting back or stepping back to the way it once was retroform means this to reshape back into an early or earlier or previous version so the vision is something gets changed gets transformed and it wants to get back to the form that it was or it does it retroforms back and we as believers can have this tendency to want to go back to the way it was, for whatever reason or another. We can have this tendency to want to retroform back to the life we had before Christ, before we were transformed into his image or were being transformed. Let's read what Galatians 2, verse 11 through 13 says again. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from James, and he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy so what we find here is Paul was annoyed because Peter was willing to kind of hang out with these Gentile Christians in the freedoms that uh, they were all experiencing you know they would eat whatever they wanted to or they would um, you know they weren't concerned about some of the rules that a lot of these Jewish uh, Um, people had been and the new Jewish Christians still were holding on to some of their rules for living and Peter had been enjoying the freedoms with these Gentile Christians. But then when some friends came, Jewish friends came and showed up on the scene, Peter stepped back and he started to put back on the rules. He did not want to be observed as someone who was operating with these freedoms. And he began to kind of reinstate the rules that all of his friends would have expected him to. He he stepped back from the changes and the transformation that he had believed in and had embraced. Basically, he had decided to reject the change that Christ was doing in him and the freedom that he was finding. He was changing back. He was reverting back. And um, there's some scripture here that kind of talks about this human quality that we have that wants to step back into the life that we once had before Christ. Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Um, this, this idea that humanity, for some reason, um, especially in this, with this folly in operation, we go back to the same mistakes, the same junk that we had before. Galatians 2.18, a little further, we already read it earlier, but it says, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And that's what Paul was calling Peter on, saying, if you go back and you decide to put all of these rules, these works of righteousness that do not bring about righteousness, if you go back and put that on the people who you're teaching, or you take it on yourself, um, you are making yourself a transgressor. You are rejecting the work of Christ. Um, There's kind of an Old Testament illustration here that came to my mind as I was preparing. And that was when Moses had been called by God to go to Pharaoh and to ask for the people to come out of the bondage and the slavery that they were under in Egypt. And he's asked permission. And of course, there's this long dialogue and many days of all of these different um, plagues that are going on, 10 plagues to be exact. And finally, the last plague happens, the death of the firstborns. And Pharaoh says, get out of here and go and. And so like a million people, literally a million people, all pick up and take all of their stuff and all of their animals, and they go on out and they're they're leaving Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea. A barrier, a blockage in their pathway. What are they going to do? Well, by this time, Pharaoh and his army have changed their minds about them leaving, and they decide to chase them down. And so you've got all of these people who have left this slavery and this bondage, and they've got a Red Sea in front of them, and they've got a Pharaoh's army behind them, and they begin to complain. They complain to Moses, and they say something along these lines, was there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here into the wilderness to die? Would have been better if we had stayed in Egypt in the bondage of slavery than to be out here and to die. Of course their fear was kicking in here in the midst of the Red Sea and an army behind them and they were wanting to return back in this unknown circumstance, turn back to a life of bondage and slavery. And this concept of retro form, going back to the form that you once took on, is a tendency to go back to the familiar bondage of sin. Um, At least we weren't living in the unknown. At least we knew what to expect in this bondage of sin. And we can almost get attracted to um, the familiar and to this bondage that was there. There, at least we knew what to expect um, in our bondage, and so Paul is calling Peter um, accountable for this going back form that he was beginning to take on. These friends were coming, and he's trying to put on these Gentile new believers, these Christians, the bondage of all the rules of the Jewish faith. Says so said, if you do this, then you're going to be righteous. And Paul's going, you are, um, you are going backwards. You are going back to a bondage. You're going back to the familiar bondage that you once had. And you and I can have that same tendency when the going get tough in life or when our faith is put to the challenge. When we're dealing with circumstances that we don't know how it's going to turn out. That's why sometimes people will pick up the bottle again or people will go back to um, some other familiar sin that somehow might bring about some sort of comfort when the going get tough. Um, Another observation here from Galatians related to this transforming message of the gospel. And that is that we have been transformed to death. Uh, It's a crazy thought. Um, Not real popular um, preaching point here, but that's the truth. We are transformed in Christ to death. Um, I want to read verses 19 and 20. And it says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, you and I, as we say yes to Christ and we are transformed um, positionally before God, all of a sudden when we were declared unrighteous and then changed to righteous, we were also initiated into a life of dying to ourselves, dying to our own authority over our lives and giving it over to Christ, giving it over to God. You see, we now are on a lifelong journey of dying to self, a lifelong journey of saying he's in charge and I am not in charge, a lifelong journey of yielding to the the authority over our lives and giving it over to God and it's a continual battle of yielding our Personal thrones to God because we like to be in charge We like to have uh, the authority over our lives to do what we want to do and that's true Even after we say yes to Christ and we begin to experience the transformating work of the gospel We still have a tendency want to go back and be in charge, but we have been transformed to death now, uh, back to the transformers. I, I was talking about those little toys that are transformed and change, and it's more than meets the eye. Well, I, I looked up some quotes about uh, you know some of the slogans that were made up, and I found this one um, episode of transformers, and we're talking back in the 80s, season two, I think it's episode 36. Um, Is what it said. And there's this scene at the end of this episode. And what's gone on in this episode is there's, you know, just to give you a little background, you've got the good guys. They're the Autobots and they are led by this one uh, leader, Optimus Prime. Okay, And he's the name of this big semi-truck, and he's cool, and he's always got these wise sayings and makes good decisions. And then you've got the, um, the bad guys, and they are called, um, they're called Decepticons, and they're led by this one evil ruler called Megatron. Well, what happens in this episode is the Decepticons, the bad guys, have another bad gang that shows up, and they start to kind of confront each other, and they want to be in charge, and they want to show who's tougher and bigger and badder and all of that. And Optimus Prime has said to all of his Autobots, let's not get involved. Let's just let them fight it out. And so they fight it out and they battle. Well, they end up leaving. You know, they just like scram because they beat each other up so bad and they leave and all that's left is the Autobots and they're like, man, Optimus Prime, you were right. We just had to let them fight it out and you know, it kind of took care of itself. And then they go to do this. They they kind of reform, transform into this like seat and they tell Optimus Prime this all-wise leader to take a seat on the throne is what they say take a seat on the throne you're the smartest guy and optimus prime says this it's a great line in this end of this movie he says thrones are for decepticons besides i'd rather roll and what he's saying there is that when we try to build up our own thrones that we're going to sit on that we are deceiving ourselves that we are actually in charge of something and uh, he is, he's kind of saying thrones are for Decepticons, thrones are for those who are fools, thrones are for those who are going to hang themselves in their pride because we have been transformed Into death, we've been. uh, We're in a lifelong journey of saying, "Christ, I'm no longer in charge. You are in charge. I give my transformed life to you, and it's yours to form it and transform it into whatever you want it to be." But friends, you and I can have this tendency to try to um, retroform our lives and go back to what we had before. We have this, you know, we have an enemy that would love for us to say. Now, you don't want to die today. You don't you don't want to give up the authority today. You want to be in charge. You want to be comfortable. You want to at least know what's going on and so we try to take on some of the life and some of the rules that we lived before. And the Lord bids us out of that. He bids us into this transforming message of grace, this transforming message of freedom, this transforming message of, of our thrones being torn down on our lives and saying yes to him. And so I don't know where you're at in your journey right now, but God is calling us to lay down the, the rules And to offer our hearts to Him, to lay down the past, to lay down the bondages and say, Lord, I give my life to you. Take me, transform me, redesignate me as one of your children. You are in charge and we're going to work our way through the book of Galatians the next three weeks. And we're not going to, we're going to find that this was a transforming message. But we're also going to find how it transformed the church and also how it looks through the gifts of the spirit operating in our lives. What we are transformed into some cool stuff begins to come out. And so um, the first step is this. To say, um, Lord, I want this transforma- this transforming message of grace to be. Um- Uh, welcomed into our lives, that we are saying yes. And when we so do it, we're giving up the authority over our lives and we are being transformed into death, dying to ourselves and becoming alive in Christ. And if you need today to say yes to him, to be transformed in the moment, to be transformed from death and into life, Would you pray a prayer with me? Would you open your heart? There's nothing magical about these words at all, but they are an opportunity for your heart to be transformed and be given to Christ. Let's do that. Lord, right now we pray and thank you for this gospel message of of life and hope and a new designation, Lord, um, that you give us eternal life as we say yes to you. Lord, I thank you that it's not dependent on my works. I thank you it's not um, dependent on how well I can follow a list of rules because, Lord, I know I will fail every time. But, Lord, it's dependent on who I know and who I've said yes to and who I've given authority of my life to, and that's you, Jesus Christ. And right now I choose to say yes to you. I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Set me on a... Uh, a a transformed life that constantly yields to You, Lord. I pray, God, as I'm transformed to death and that You take my life and You use it for Your glory. And God, I just pray that You would uh, receive my life today. And all the days of my life ahead, it's yours today in Jesus' name. And Lord, anyone who's prayed this prayer or has reaffirmed their faith today, I just pray, God, you would walk with them, join with them, and uh, Lord, lead them every day and that their life would be poured out for you and you would take it and bless it in every way. Because, Lord, what you are transforming us into is far greater than anything we could ever achieve on our own. So we bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.